Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody, if you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including the Friday debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee. And it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out. www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 47 of the Grounder with Flight Attendant Joe podcast. I hope you came ready to laugh because we deliver on this podcast episode. Today, my guest is Michael Hartney. He is a director, a producer, a writer, a comedian, an actor, a host. What hasn't this dude done? He actually is an original cast member of Broadway's School of Rock. He's also been on 30 Rock. I mean, obviously he likes a lot of rocks. He's been on The Break with Michelle Wolf and was recently on the season finale of The Politician. And he came on the show, gave me a great scoop. It was like a first time ever scoop about his time on The Politician. I'm very excited. I might not even need to be on unemployment anymore after you all download and listen to this episode we talked about acting writing it was phenomenal ladies and gentlemen welcome michael hartney to this show hey everybody welcome michael hartney to the show michael thank you for being on my podcast i do not feel worthy to have you on this show that is a ridiculous statement <laughs> but thank you thank you very much for having me uh, i'm very excited to be here i am so excited i was just running laps in the house and my husband's like what are you doing i'm like i'm getting ready for michael he's like oh my god that poor man yeah you gotta get your heart rate up to oh, deal with me yes. for sure. well you know i want to let all the listeners know that i know you personally but i haven't seen you in like a decade and in this decade yeah, it has been a minute joe it has been a, it's been since i spent i used to spend a lot of time in new york and i would see you out we would see you know and it was just fun and then i kind of stopped going to new york and your career just skyrocketed and i'm was still a flight attendant <laughs> <laughs> well don't worry i am as unemployed as a human being could possibly be right now so don't worry you are out doing me Big time. Absolutely so. not. You're crazy. Stop <laughs> it. You're going to get me all excited and boned up just by saying that. But um, I did a huge deep dive into your career. But before we get started, just can you let everyone know who you are and what you do? Wow. Um, to distill it in a nutshell. Um, hi, I'm Michael Hartney. Uh, I'm an actor, writer, comedian. Uh, based in New York City. I've been doing sketch and improv comedy for years and years. Um, and, you know, sometimes I also do uh, theater, like Broadway, for example. Yeah. I think that's probably the, that's like the Reader's Digest version, I guess. That's the tweet. 
I love how, you know what? It's, it's such a hard question to answer, right? So tell everyone about yourself because when you just, yeah. when you just read that, I was laughing inside. Cause you're like, Oh, and I, I'm on theater and I like, and you left out the part that you're part of the original Broadway cast of school of rock. You left that part out, which is humongous. Uh, yeah, it is, it is huge. And it also feels uh, like a half life in an alternate universe. Uh, it was like a very weird um, uh, kind of diversion from my usual path. When you were on, when you were on School of Rock, when you were in School of Rock, that was a diversion from your path. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't been, in, I hadn't been auditioning. I hadn't auditioned for theater in, I don't know, well, probably ten years at least. And so when this came up, it was not what I was kind of focusing on. So I had to like dust off a songbook, and I was rusty as all hell. Um, so yeah, it was a very unexpected thing to suddenly, um, yeah, be thrust into an OBC, which I later learned meant original Broadway cast. I was going to guess that because I didn't think it was a medication. I was like, is he talking about OCD? Is he trying to say OCD? Yeah, I'm, I'm on 50 milligrams of OCD right now. <laughs> OBC. I don't know what I'm doing. But when you get... When you get the call for something like that, and we, we're going to talk about, so, you've done so many things, I can't po we can't possibly talk about them because we'll be into 2021, and I'll be like, this is the longest podcast that's <laughs> ever. Maybe we could do that, and then we could be in the greatest, what is it? What is that book? The Guinness Book of World Records. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, or I we, we could, could keep talking, and then this nightmare year will be over. That actually sounds good, too. What if we just keep talking until January 1st, and then I'm like, all right, Mike, I'll talk to you soon. I'm going to come visit that. <laughs> Perfect. That's I'll right. have black eyed peas ready for you, some champagne. Oh, I love it. I love it. But yeah, the new year begins. So you said you didn't expect that. Did you get a call from your agent? They're like, hey, you need to go audition on Broadway. Like, how does that come to be? Yeah, my manager sent me an email um, that was like, is this something you might be interested in? Sort of uh, probing uh, because. You know, he wasn't sure. I'm, I'm a pretty like through and through. Like, I want comedy on television. I like sketch comedy. You know what I mean? Um, and so, uh, it wasn't a normal thing to come through for me uh, of this type of audition. And I was like, man, this would be good. like the Jack Black part. Like, yeah, I'd be good at that. Um, and so I was like, yeah, let's let's do that. And I was so nervous for that first audition and like, you know, was pretty sure I was going to fully humiliate myself. <laughs> and then I was told in the room that I was getting a call back, which is not something that happened. What were you told in the room? I'm sorry. The, uh, that I got a call back. Right in the so room. I'd be right in the room. Right. So you're like, oh I've my never God. heard of such a thing. Yeah, it was shocking. It was truly shocking. Now, is where where is your passion? Is it in theater? Is it in TV? It's really in in sketch comedy on TV. Sketch comedy on that's, TV. That's but, what I want to do. But you'll just star on Broadway when you need to. <laughs> 
I mean, isn't that disgusting? I truly, it, I so disgusting. I am a full monster. I am aware. <laughs> I'm a sociopath. I'm like, I'm like, do you like theater TV? Um, you got it wrong. I like sketch comedy on TV. Hello, where have you been? Yeah, I, I have a very specific niche interest. Um, and you know, I should probably just be more into being on Broadway because it was really fun. Probably the best job I ever had. Now, how long were you in the in School of Rock? Uh, so the first iteration of it was this off-Broadway workshop of it. Um, but I think by week two of it, we knew we, like, I knew I was getting the offer to be in the Broadway cast, which was truly shocking. Um uh, so all of that together was probably a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then once I left the show, I then came back to fill in for someone's vacation or someone's leave for four weeks. And then that same actor left uh, just a little bit early. And so I did the last two weeks of the whole run. So I was there opening night and closing. Wow. That's so incredible. Now, are you, I, I suffer from imposter syndrome. Do you know what that is? Oh, I sure do because I'm right there with you, buddy. Do you think, do you think most people in Hollywood or actors or anyone, before they get to that level where they just think they're God's gift to the planet, do you think that they live in this world of how did I get this? this I'm going to wake up from this and it's just not going to be real. I think Probably because I think <laughs> I think a lot of people uh, vacillate wildly between delusions of grandeur and imposter syndrome. Certainly, I am I for sure am one of those people, and a lot of my peers are that kind of person where they're like, "Well, I'm great, and I deserve everything," but then they get something, they're like, "Well, I don't know about this great." Um, so it's this constant like very sad back and forth it must be exhausting it must be exhausting to you're like you're on broadway or you're you just get cast in the show and as you're driving or you're on the train or you're going there you're like i don't even know what i'm doing do they must they must have made are they calling me in to tell me they were wrong because i know that, <laughs> that are they gonna make me take the train all the way into the city just to tell me oops we did it again and we made a mistake, but no, you're yeah. fantastic. I mean, the thing with that is I felt very confident in the track I was, I was hired for, which was like doing a bunch of roles in the ensemble, uh, including a, a gay dad of one of the kids in the band, you know, like a bro at the bar, like just little parts. Um, what I was not confident about, what I had tremendous imposter syndrome about, was understudying the lead role Dewey and the fact that as we were developing the show, it became more and more apparent that Dewey would be playing a bit of guitar in the show, mm. which is a skill I did not have. Okay. All right. So what... What do you do when they're like, yeah, you need to play the guitar? Are you like, oh, fuck, I better go get some lessons? They paid for lessons for me. Um, wow. Oh, yeah. Broadway is very fancy. 
<laughs> I, we, all the Deweys got all the Deweys got guitar lessons. We got voice lessons, and we got uh, once a week personal training. Because spoiler alert, the role of Dewey is so physically exhausting mm-hmm. that you need to be in pretty good cardiovascular health to have a prayer of execution. Well, right, because you're you're basically, you know, Jack Black, he can run a marathon while singing, playing the guitar, and probably doing jumping jacks. And he's not a skinny queen. He's not a twin. No. He is like he's like a normal human being. So that his heart must be so strong. So yeah, I could see where you have to get to that level so you could be on stage. Oh yeah. Broadway. Running around on a steel floor stage, uh, jumping off of death, running around screaming. Um, one of the most vocally challenging <laughs> lead roles I've ever heard on Broadway. It, uh, yeah, it was really, really intense. And on literally all of that, I had to acquire a new skill entirely, which was figuring out this goddamn guitar, which I just had no, I, it was, it became very clear very quickly that I had no aptitude for it whatsoever. <laughs> None. Like Antonio Banderas learned his first English role phonetically, did not know English just knew the sound that his character needed to make. Mm. And that is eventually what uh, I did for School of Rock, which was I learned how to play all of the guitar parts required by School of Rock. But if you handed me a guitar right now, I couldn't do one single thing. Oh, so it's like when I go to a foreign country and I get like five minutes into a conversation and I say, yeah, I'm just here to ask you how you're doing and I want to order coffee. Yes, exactly. Okay, good. Yeah. Now I get it. Now I understand. I have the guitar experience equivalent of asking where the bathroom is. And that's it. <laughs> well, I don't know if you can tell, but I am so starstruck right now. I'm actually fiddling, fidgeting with um, a fake airplane because I'm so excited you're on my show. So <laughs> if I say to you, thank you again a thousand times, you know, at some point you're just going to say, yes, Joe, I'm on your show. Calm down. Calm down before I hang up and then I'll be upset. Joe, I'll take, I'll take all the effusive praise I can get. Uh, <laughs> quarantine's been rough. So yeah, all the love that you want to throw at me i will think okay so i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw a clip at you right now so <gasps> I have wow. clips. listen this is no monkey business whatever that term is what is that term monkey show whatever i don't know I dog and pony show thank you see i'm glad you're here i know nothing so um <laughs> i know nothing i literally know nothing but i'm gonna play a clip from when you were on okay now is what i'm gonna start getting excited um when you were on 30 Rock in 2012, and the scene is, oh. it's the begin. I know, right? It's the beginning scene where Liz Lemon's walking down the street, you're a protester, you're screaming at her, and I'm gonna play this clip. I have a bunch of clips. You're, you're incredible, I have a lot of clips today. Oh my God, this is my life. When I say NBC, you say, Alright! NBC! Alright! NBC! Alright! Wow! from TGS. Okay, I am a human being, sir. Do you think I'm pulling this hat off? No! From the top! (laughs) Okay, first of all, it took me five. It took me five times to watch it today to realize you're actually talking that she's got an old bag. 
yeah. from the TV show. And when that clicked, I just fucking died. I was laughing yeah. so hard. So tell me, that was eight years ago. Tell me how your react your reaction when you get the call of, hey, you could be on 30 Rock. Do you want to go audition or did you not even have to audition? Oh, I definitely had to audition. That was actually my third 30 Rock audition. Okay. I had auditioned to play an evil page and like a, 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 a stage hand in the past. And um, I, I was like, God, I hope this third one's the charm. <laughs> there's truly nothing more exciting in the world than going to 30 Rockefeller Plaza because you have business to attend to. Oh, yeah, that sounds fancy. It's such a thrill. Um, so you go to the 16th floor, you sign in. You know, this was like a gay role, so there was like a lot of gay comedians who I was like, well, I'm not getting this because there's very accomplished people sitting in this room. But then the second I got in that audition room, I was like, oh, I got this. These people are loving me. Um, <laughs> But then it took a while. It took like, it took like, I don't know, like 10 days or something to hear back. And the manager that I was freelancing with at the time um, called me and was like, well, they want to book you on 30 Rock. I'm like, great. This is a, this has been like, a, like I set very few like concrete goals for myself, but getting on 30 Rock is definitely important. Sure. So to achieve it was like huge. And he was like, but there's just one problem. Price Chopper also wants to put you in this commercial and you had that call back first and you're on first refusal with them or something like that. Now, what does, what does that and mean I was, exactly? So it means that if you book other work, if you're on first refusal, it means that job needs to check in with the job that you're on first refusal with to see if they want to release you oh, to do that okay. job. And I basically had to be very firm into the phone. Be like, <laughs> if I don't get to shoot 30 Rock, I will fucking kill you and everyone. So I don't care what you have to do. I don't want to do this price chopper job. I want to do 30 rock. Yeah. That's a uh, and then I did 30 rock, you, but it's um, incredible. Yeah. That commercial casting office though, uh, was not pleased with me and that's fine because it's run by absolute psychopath. Okay. But you were on uh, 30 so rock. Yeah, exactly. I got to do a scene with Tina goddamn Bay. I got to kind of, I mean, it was such a whirlwind. I mean, I was probably only on that set for like 90 minutes or something. Um, but like, there's so much, there's so much business. She's walking kind of a long distance. There was not enough in the chance to cover that. So I had to figure out how am I going to fill this space? Um, so that's why I say work like that. <laughs> because if we kept chanting, Tina would have passed right into the building <laughs> And if we had said one fewer, there'd be all this dead space. So I was like, I guess I could just say work for a long time. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, so just they, like crazy so they were, they were problem just, solving things like that. They were just like, 
you know, just keep talking and screaming and hollering until she gets hits her mark, and then you can say your line. Right, but okay. like it's it's like I don't know fifty extras or something. We're all chanting the same thing, so you know, I had to make sure like I've got to be able to say my line in the clear. So it was just like all this logistics stuff to make sure like okay, only say over it three times or whatever it was. Um, and I was like, <laughs> it was my first like co-star on a TV show. And I was like, am I already improvising and, and telling people what to do? Like chill the hell out. My You're like, there is a director. You're turning around telling all the extras. I am, I am up front. That means I have the line. I'm the one with the line. Settle down. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm a principal performer. Thank you. Um, so when you find out not only are you you're going to be on 30 rock but you are actually going to interact with tina fey how do you prepare for that because i personally i can barely you know i i'm not a flight attendant anymore i retired in june but when i was i could barely i could never work first class because if anyone was up there i would have a heart attack so i would always be in the back and i would be like they would be like joe so and so's up front today and i would be like well don't let me pass row 12. (laughs) how do you prepare for like one of like i'm going to be on tv with tina fey like what how do you run through that in your brain um I guess just like I would with any other person I'm working with. Oh, you're professional. Um, yeah, I guess I'm professional. <laughs> See, that's I guess where, I can uh, keep my shit together. That's why I'm not uh, an actor. Um, yeah, no, I couldn't. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think like it helps when you are auditioning with it. It's like, well, I know who I'm saying this line to. So if I book this. Like I know it's Tina. So you start kind of preparing for it. I mean, I don't know about most actors. Yes. The second we get an inkling of some sort of audition, mm-hmm. we have already spent the money that we will be making if we put that job. We've already pictured ourselves doing it. We've already pictured the, the incredibly lucrative next job that it will lead to. Um, so by the time you get on set, like you've daydreamed quite a bit. I know, like, like you're ready. She would hate me because they'd be like, "Take 750," and she'd be like, "You have one fucking line. I'm gonna need you to nail it, and so I can go inside the building." Because <laughs> I would just be like, like the first 300 lines, it would just be like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god." She'd be like, "Settle down." What's uh, crazy about uh, Tina is that, like, she is also like running the show like she wasn't directing or anything but she is in charge of so many things that you could tell just from being on set like she's constantly pulled in four thousand directions mm-hmm. but like when i rap she kind of sprinted over to me grabbed my forearm went thank you and ran off into god knows where uh because i'm sure her you know 14 hour day is planned within the list but that means so much. The idea that she is, she was a producer. She created the show. She's so busy, but she took a moment to come over to you and acknowledge you. And I think that that would be it for me. I would be like, you don't even have to pay me. I'm good. It was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> now, <laughs> well, not lie. Do you, do you get, 
Well, you're a star. I mean, I'm starstruck right now. But do you get starstruck from celebrities? Um, I have been starstruck exactly one time in my life. Ooh. Oh, no. Twice. I have to now admit twice. Um, the first time sounds ridiculous, but I was starstruck by, I don't know if you've heard of this person, the apparently kid. Do you know who that is? No. Who is it again? His, his name is Noah Ritter. He was a little boy uh, a few years ago and was in a viral video at like the Pennsylvania State Fair where he was interviewed about a ride and he said apparently 400 times because I guess he just learned that word. He is so cute, so charming, so funny. And I found out that uh, on a gig I was doing that he was staying at the same hotel that we were staying because he was in town to do Ellen. I'm looking at the and picture right day, now. I'm looking at uh, the picture. I'm thinking he's five years old and says the word apparently 500 times and he's on Ellen. Do you know how much I've done? <laughs> <laughs> holy shit but go ahead with your story i'm gonna close my computer because i can't even look at this kid's face anymore but go ahead so the elevator doors open i'm like going down for the morning to like meet my colleagues in the lobby and i've told them how much i love the apparently kid and the doors open and i see literally all like 12 of my co-workers looking at me like <gasps> i'm like oh my god and I turn to my right, and I see the apparently kid sitting there with his grandpa, and I lose my damn mind because I love that kid. So that was the first time I was starstruck. Okay. And then the second time is actually like a real thing, which is that my idol in comedy is Mike Myers. Mike so Myers, okay. Year, a billion years ago in 05, we passed each other on the street, and I almost like threw up. Uh, I didn't say anything, but I just like saw him walking down, uh, uh, I think it was Barrow Street, and just truly barfed. Then years later, uh, 2017, uh, my friend Frank and I go see um, the Kevin McDonald show, which is um, Kevin McDonald from The Kids in the Hall. Mm -hmm. He has a podcast and he tapes it live, and his guest was Mike Myers. So it's like, well, we have to do that. Well, it turns out uh, that my friend Bowen Gang, who's now on Saturday Night Live, he was, uh, did a little bit part in the show. And then Bowen had me and Frank come backstage and meet Mike Myers, which was just So you actually got to meet your comic idol hero. Correct. None of which I said to him. I'm not a full idiot. You, um, did, you did not but, tell him that in 2004 you walked by him and ended up vomiting? I didn't because it was 05. Uh, and, also, <laughs> <laughs> and also, no, I did not. Oh, my God. I'm usually the funny one on this show, and this is fantastic. I'm sorry Ooh, I'm funny, too, I Joe. Can, I can sit back and not even do anything. Oh, I feel This is so <laughs> relaxing, but go ahead. I'm dying. Um. We all ended up going to a fucking bar and, like, hanging out a little bit. Like, I mean, it's not like me and Mike Myers were, like, chit-chatting the entire time. The fact that I was, like, sitting at the same table as him having a drink was, like, you know, it was, just, it was big just because 
he his work was so huge on me in very formative years. Sure. I still can't believe I would have been like, after two drinks, I would have been like, by the way, saw you a billion years ago, and I almost vom- I vomited on the side of the road. He would have loved that. He would have, he, I, I guess he would have loved it. I don't know. What do you ask Mike Myers when you're sitting at a bar with him? Uh, the one thing I brought up is that he wrote a book about Canada. Okay. Uh, and in it, he talks about buf- local Buffalo television, and I'm from Buffalo. So I was like, I'm reading your book. I'm from Buffalo. And he says back to me, Irv Weinstein, which is the name of like a newscaster in Buffalo. I'm going to take it. That's us bonding. We we did it. That was it. We're besties. Yeah. (laughs) Friends forever. We did get a picture. Okay. Which is also something I never do because I hate it. But you can beat my you got to get in a picture with Mike Meyer. You do. I think when you meet your idol like that or your hero, it's okay. And I'm the same way. I don't I don't like the idea of bothering a celebrity or an actor to say, hey, can I get a photo with you? But I think in some situations, when you're at the bar with them, I would totally be like, let's let's do this. Do you, um, yeah. do you ever find that... <laughs> In your mind, you tell yourself that celebrities are your friends when they're really not. Wow. Or, or, am, I um, the cra- or am I just the crazy one? I think that's a very lonely hill that you are standing <laughs> on. Well, <laughs> listen, no, no. I think all celebrities would hate me. I think, like, early on, I met celebrities, and they were not very nice to me. And so it was pretty instructive oh. in how I... Uh, both deal with celebrities and anticipate how celebrities will be when I meet them. Did when you say you met celebrities and they were not nice to you, did it kind of almost push you out of not wanting to be an actor or a writer or be in the entertainment industry because you were like, Oh my God, if this is the way people act, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Um, no, it, it made me, it made me resolve to never be like that, though. And oh, that's good. You know, there's like a, a a a hope that one day all of the people who are kind will <laughs> will inherit the earth, and um, and and the industry will be better for it. I think certainly some things are kind of brewing right now where uh, kindness and is finally being valued a little more, uh, which I think is a step in the right direction. But yeah, I'm not going to let any of these jerks get my Right, you can't let you can't let jerks affect your dream. Because where no. would we be? Where would we be? You said something when you talked about going into the audition for Thirty Rock, and you went in, and there were all these gay com- comedians there, and you were like, "Oh my god, all these people are accomplished." What you know, I'm never going to get this role. Did I? But you're accomplished. Have you accepted that you're accomplished, or do you not believe it yet? Uh, this is a deep uh, that's question. Such a good question. It <laughs> is a that is deep. Um, you know, I'm I'm proud of the work I've done, and and I, you know, I I think like I've done really cool things. I don't think I'm someone who someone walks into an audition and thinks, oh, they've got it. Like I'm not that guy yet. Um, and that's okay. I don't need to be that guy. 
have you um no you don't need to be that guy because that's not, yeah. if that's not who you are then why would you be that guy you know being humble I yeah think, i'm not the, there's something good I'd about be being guy. humble. yeah sometimes <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> like, like I, Hey, listen, I might not walk in and think I'm going to get the role, but if I walk into the gym bar in Manhattan, I'm probably going to get picked up. <laughs> there you go. See, you got to have goals, Michael. You got to have goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, tear up some dick at gym bar. I'm not <laughs> humble at all. God, I haven't been there forever, but, um, I have another clip that I want to play, and this is from when oh. you were on. I know this is like your life. This is when you were on the break with Michelle Wolf back in 2018, Yay. and you play a character named Op Ed. So I'm going to play that clip. Great. Well, hello there. My name is Edmund Oppenheimer III, but you can call me Op Ed. Oh, okay. Ah, God. <laughs> I'm the man who decides which opinions make it into the New York Times op-ed page. And I'll give you a hint. It's most of them. So what's your take? Gimme, gimme. Okay, well, my piece is about the U.S.'s role in the ongoing Iran. Sounds good. Straight to print. My impeccable taste triumphs again. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Woo! Whoa, that was a lot of sweating over here. Is this a character that you created? Because I know that you are just incredible at creating characters and all different types of characters. Is this one that you pulled from your your hat of characters? I was actually, no, it's not. Uh, it, it, it is similar to a character. Uh, vocally, it's a little similar to a character I created um, back in 2010 for the solo show that I did at the UCB Theater. But this um, came completely, you know, I, uh, so I had already done a, a sketch on uh, Michelle Wolf's show a few weeks prior. Um, I had shot a part and it was so exciting because, like, I love Michelle. We were in an improv class together back in the day. Uh, it's so <laughs> thrilling to see how uh, much she succeeded. Um, and it was it was amazing to be on set um, shooting a sketch, but then uh, my friend Christine, who writes on the show, called me and was like, "This is crazy. Can you audition for this like bigger sketch that we have uh, where you play like a Willy Wonka character?" I was like, "Hell yes, I can audition for this." Um, so I went in and and uh, with the casting director and sang this song. Did you know? a lot of that but but i was thinking of it more as like a more not straight but but not like a big silly character voice quite like that so then i book the role and the first thing we do is we go to a recording booth because um there's a whole song and um my friend ryan who wrote the sketch it turns out um is there and he's like so uh we want you to sound like um, the, the maybe the Mad Hatter in mm. Alice in Wonderland. One of the characters in Alice in Wonderland who sort of has this this type of voice. I was like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, I could do that. Uh, I wish uh, the casting director would have told me. You know, there's just always these like little miscommunications that happen between creatives and casting, so you're never like sure what anyone's looking for. Uh, which is a great 
uh, bit of advice for anyone who's scared to audition for things. No one knows what they're looking for anyway. So just do whatever. Um, so what you hear in the song is basically my first attempt at sounding like this guy. Because uh, the very first thing we did was record the song. But yeah, I was pretty much inspired by Ryan Perez, the writer, and uh, what he had in mind for what op-ed should sound like. Oh, it's so cool. And you're right. After that after that little clip I play, you do this entire song and dance routine. And it's yeah. so fun. I loved it. You know, you also, here I am, I'm like, you know, you do this too. And you're like, yes, I know. I do <laughs> but you have your own TV sketch comedy show called Characters Welcome that you created with Justin Tyler. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, um, it started as a live show at the UCB Theater back in late 2012. Um, and it was basically a... Uh, uh, basically, Justin, like uh, maybe a year prior, Justin had been asked to audition kind of last minute for Mad TV. Mm-hmm. So he had to scramble to like write a bunch of characters and put them up, um, having never tested them in front of an audience. Uh, it was just kind of a mad dash to put something together. And we realized like, Oh, like we don't want to be caught with our pants down the next time your mad TVs, your SNLs, your in living color reboots, for example, when they're coming around looking for people who do characters, um, we should probably have some really fucking good characters to choose from. So we started, uh, kind of workshopping characters and doing it every month. Um, as this show, that's a collection of like the best character monologues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've been doing that for years and years at the theater and, uh, filming the shows and putting them on YouTube. And then in the past year, um, the YouTube channel has absolutely exploded. Um, we have like a hundred thousand subscribers, uh, mostly thanks to the people who last hosted characters. Welcome Eric Fuhrer, Sarah Smallwood Parsons. They really like led the charge on channel exploding but yeah me and justin and eric and sarah's little baby is now like this big thing that has lots of fans right and it's it being sketch comedy you get to play all these characters and that's why i asked you if that op-ed character was one of them that you had created because when i go through and look up at episodes of characters welcome and see the characters you play they're all so different and um Thanks. Yeah. I love hearing that. It's fantastic. And here comes my next question is, have you ever had the opportunity to audition for SNL? I have. Okay. Can Uh, can we talk about it? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, So uh, it's truly all I've ever wanted since I was eight years old, to be on SNL. You know, watching Mike Myers, for example, mm. but, you know, Tina Carvey, Phil Hartman, Jan Hook, that was like, those were my people. Um, and sort of every move I've made since then has been in service of like trying to get towards this goal, this white way. Uh, so in the summer of 2014, which is now six agonizing years ago, I got an email. I knew there was some sort of showcase that was going to be happening 
at the theater because because I'm a, a, a crazy person. I look at the like upcoming month schedule at the UCB theater to mm-hmm. see if there was anything like new and intriguing. And there was a weird blank spot on July 30th. And it was clearly like a primetime slot. There was nothing there yet. And that's like SNL audition time. I was like, I think that's going to be the SNL showcase. I just knew it in my bones. And then truly like two hours later, the artistic director of the theater at the time, Shannon O'Neill, emailed me and was like, hi, we're doing an SNL showcase. We want you to be on. And I was like, well, this is what I've been dreaming of my entire life. So, and luckily we've been doing characters. Welcome for a few years now. So I had a trunk of dope characters. Right. Um, so I put my audition together and Shannon was incredibly supportive of all of the, I, I think she had a bunch of slots that she could fill with who she wanted uh, to be seen by SNL. And then SNL also had its list of people they wanted to see. So I think that first time I was on Shannon's list and not really on SNL. But we didn't know that. We just were thrilled to have this opportunity. So we got to do so many of the shows at UCB, like guests on them and run our set, see what's working, see what's not working, make little snips, change the order of characters depending on how they're going. So there was this, you know, determined, scrappy little bunch of uh, a few of us who all kind of workshopped our set together. Mm-hmm. And then there were a bunch of other folks also on the, on the uh, lineup. Uh, and we went, we all went, you know, I went in the back hallway and I listened to uh, John Williams' Superman theme right before I went on. Um, the comic who went right before me, you may have heard of him. His name is Pete Davidson. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know him, yeah. but I know of him. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's the one who got hired that year. Instead um, of you. <laughs> and I came instead of me. Uh, I'm not you know, laughing. I'm came not on. Laughing. No, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, that first time was really fun. I think the audience really liked what I did, but I did not um, get asked to screen test. Which is basically like the big, the big audition. Is that uh, is that when you would go in front of Lorne Michael? Yeah, that's the one that Lorne Michaels, you know, had. It's at Studio Eight H, like at Thirty Rock itself. Um, so I, spoiler alert, have never made it to that shape. Um, but then I did get asked to audition again two years later, and this time. I think it was SNL that was asking for me and not a theater, especially because the showcase was not at the UCB theater, was not at my home theater. Um, and that one, I did great. I mean, uh, it was even better than the first time. It was like truly a feeling of euphoria. It was it like, it's one of those rare moments where you can kind of step outside of yourself and be like, oh, I am crushing. Mm-hmm. This is going so well. The audience loves this. The characters feel very different from each other. They are all full of jokes. Um, this is as well as I could possibly do. And then I remember 
I don't know, again, it was like two weeks or two and a half weeks or something. There was this long period where I was like, well, I'm going to get that call from my manager where I'm asked to do a screen test. And I'm just kind of waiting for it, um, which is truly insane. Uh, of course, that call never came. I got an email that was like, nope, you're not testing. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, I'm really proud of what I did. And I, you know, I have not, uh, I have not auditioned since. And that is a bummer. But, um, you know, some people don't even get to showcase. Exactly. So I feel very lucky that I got to do it twice. Does something like that, does it, I'm sure there, there comes a little bit of like a oh, fuck, like depression a little bit when you, it's your dream since you were eight, you do it twice and they're like, no, thank you. Do you say I'm never doing that again? Or if they called you tomorrow, would you be like, hold on, I got to go into the city because I'm auditioning for Saturday Night Live? Oh my God. Yeah, I would go right now in what well, I'm wearing. What? I would what? do whatever. You would drop me? <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, yes, peace so. out. Peace out, podcast. <laughs> I would be like this. Listen, I'm just going to pause it, and then you come back, and then we'll finish. Perfect. Um, oh oh. Yeah, I would do it again. Yeah, of course I would do it again. I thought, man, I thought, so two years ago, I did, like, the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. Mm -hmm. I was in the New Faces Characters Showcase, which is like, you know, it's one of those things. It's like a big theater for, for SNL. Um, at least for people who are like being really being considered for it. And I did not get to showcase that year. And I was like, well, if they don't want it now, they're probably never going to want it. So, um, so yeah, I, I think after in 2018, I sort of resigned myself to, well, I don't think this, I don't think this is going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, but I do think, it doesn't like, stop you from continuing to create and then create your own sketch comedy. Exactly. Because, right. like, the dream is not, like, it doesn't have to be in this very specific box. My dream is I want to do sketch comedy and characters on TV, and nothing is stopping me from doing that. And I, in fact, have done it. Op-Ed was a comedy sketch on TV, and I was the star of the whole dang thing. I sang a song. Yeah, rock the sketch star. is called my character. It's called Op Ed. I mean, that's really cool. Do playing other people is it cathartic for you? Does it is it this feeling of you can step out of your own brain and your own mind for a moment and just play with this other character? And it's almost like you don't have to deal with reality for a moment. Yeah, I like it because I get to comment on things I notice in the world without seeming judgmental. If I'm putting myself in that place, like I can have a final word on something with integrity and empathy. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, it's very fun. I, I, I'm not like, you know, Stand-up is super cool, but, like, I'm not a stand-up, and that's not what I love. Like, you know, I fell in love with sketch comedy because I was like, oh, these people, that same guy played that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, and that guy? 
holy shit, that is an incredible range. And, you know, it's not very often that you get to see someone demonstrate an incredible amount of range in a really short amount of time. Like, if you see, if you watch, you know, I don't know, if you, like, if you watch Mark Rylance in a movie, it's like, Mark Rylance is incredible, but you're seeing him play the same character in the whole movie. So it's like, I'll have to see another movie to see if he really has range. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not so with sketch comedy. Like, you can... It's fine. You know, you can run the gamut in 30 minutes. Right. I've never done sketch comedy, but I did a show. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Greater Tuna. No. It's a comedy. It was, um, oh God, I can't even, let me, let me look up who wrote it. But I see, I'm so old. I don't remember the shit I've done, but I did this show (laughs) called Greater Tuna and it's two characters and they each play 10 characters each. So it's two guys and they play women, children, one character's a dog. So it's kind of like that. It was written by um, J- Jason Williams and Joe Sears, and it takes place in Tuna. It's Greater Tuna, Texas. And so that was my, oh. yeah, that was my foray into, I would guess, sketch comedy, because I played 10 different people. And you would run off stage. In one minute, I was Bertha Bumiller, who was this really heavy, heavy set woman who talked with a Southern accent. And then the next thing, I was the radio disc jockey for the radio station KKK, because hello, it's Texas. <laughs> Oh my god, it was hilarious. And and I so I understand your passion for that. It's so much fun. And it 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 goes by so fast that when it's over, you're like, oh fuck, I didn't even have time to be nervous. Totally. Now Yeah, totally. When you so It can feel like an out-of-body experience. Yes, it does. And really it kind of is because you're playing someone else, which is fascinating. Which I think is fascinating. Um, so let's talk. So you love, you love creating characters. And then right now in Hollywood, in New York and all that, there's so much identity politics going on. How do you feel about say a, a straight male playing a transgender woman or a gay guy playing a straight guy or a straight guy? You know, there's all this stuff going on right now where some white actors have quit playing cartoon characters of characters that were black people. And because you're in the mix of Hollywood and acting, I wanted to know what did you think of that? Because in my mind, I think acting is acting and it's playing somebody else. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I just don't, I don't understand that because, you know, if I want to play somebody, I'm just going to audition for the role and I'm going to play it. What do you think? Yeah, so I think my take on it is... um, that in a perfect world, like in a world where the field is even, that yes, acting is acting, and everyone should be allowed to play everyone. But the thing is that for so long, people have not gotten opportunities because of their identity and because of who they are. And I think that requires a nudge, a bigger nudge towards equality and justice. Than just saying, than just sort of a, a saying, oh, we're all the same, and uh, you know, a- a- everyone should be able to play everyone. I think one day we'll get there, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think that day is today. So I think it's right for, say, Kristen Bell 
tangentially to have uh, resigned uh, from their roles to give opportunities to people who actually have access to the communities that they are portraying in their shows. Um, you know, I also think like straight people should absolutely be able to play gay characters, but I don't think it should come at the expense of gay men constantly being typecast as one thing. Mm, that's, that's a good point. One day. Yeah. It's going to be something where, uh, We'll all have, have, I mean, in a perfect world, we'll all have access to each other's communities and we'll all be able to play everything. But I think until then, like, people have to acknowledge, like, oh, there are some people who would be better for this role than me. And that's a hard thing to say, especially for people who are, you know, not super famous or superstars Mm -hmm. um that's going to be harder for someone who is kristen bell or a jenny slade who is you know trying to put food on their table like right yeah yeah like should those people step down from playing a biracial character one of which is not a race they uh are I, i don't know the answer to that but um but i do think that Sometimes equality and justice need a bigger nudge than we've given it in the past. You know, I learned that from the um, Ryan Murphy show, Hollywood. Did you watch that? I did watch that. It was really good, and it really opened my eyes. You know, I, I understand that there's been centuries and decades and centuries of racial disparity, but when I really watched that show, it really brought to light how important it is it really is now that these actors who are playing characters that they might not relate to that they give they give the opportunity to somebody who could yeah i think that's super important and i think it's like a good message that people are finally talking about yeah because you know, it's so many years, like, and you don't even think about it. Well, you know, and here's here's probably my my white privilege kicking in where I'm thinking like, oh, I didn't even think of that. But I bet you every black actor or every Latino actor or every, you know, transgender actor out there notices every time that happens. And it's big time. And it's probably it's very painful. I know that if I wa if I wanted to go do something and I was like, hey, you know, I'm a gay guy, I can play this role. And then they hired like Christopher Maloney, I would be like, okay, well, he's hot, but that's okay. But um <laughs> which you actually I just you know why I brought him up? Because when I was deep diving into your career, you have a scene with him, and I was just like, when does this end? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> when does the magic end? But I wish it had never ended shooting with Christopher Maloney. Oh my God. I, w- I, w- I want to go back to when he was on Oz and he was pissing in the bucket, but now we're going way off topic and I can't bring that up. <laughs> A little peek behind your curtain, Joe. Okay. I can't, I can't do it. But no, so it, it makes sense. And I wanted to ask you that question. I know it was kind of a serious question, but because someone who's in the thick of it, you know, you host a TV series, a sketch comedy, you're, you're bringing in actors and you're bringing in comedians. And these are things that you're probably thinking of now more than you might've 10 years ago. 
Definitely. I mean, this is all, it's an evolution, right? Like it's something that we didn't think about even 10 years ago. Like think about Dallas Buyers Club. Like I don't think anyone batted an eyelash at the idea of, of Jared Leto playing a trans person or, or Matthew McConaughey playing. Oh no, Matthew McConaughey (laughs) does not play a gay guy in that. Anyway, uh, all I, I mean is like I think that's in his contract that he does not. No, yeah. <laughs> that's not all right. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> but like, think about if um, it was announced today that Jared Leto would be playing a trans woman in a movie, we'd be pissed, and it, we'd be rightfully pissed because we now know. I mean the last 10 years have been amazing as far as look at all the amazing trans actresses on TV. Like if you watch pose, Oh my God. Are you kidding? Oh, I'm so glad. Holy shit. Are there some great fucking actresses on that show? Absolutely. Um, and so like now we know there's a talent pool there and that was, that was our limitation that we didn't know what a talent pool there was. Um, but now we do and we can't go back. So if if we're announcing Jared Leto's playing a trans woman, people are going to be pissed, and they're going to be correct to be pissed. Right, because it's it's their time. Is that right to say? Is it okay to say that? Like, it, you know, society is changing, and in a good way, where these people are able to get jobs in the field that they love. So why would you, why would you ever cast a straight cis man to play a transgender woman? When, like you said, there's this huge pool of incredibly talented actresses waiting. Yeah. Cause it's like, let's not pretend we were so imaginative before this. We were so thinking outside of the box, like, you know, Andre Brower isn't going to be cast as Margaret Thatcher. Like, we're not doing that. Right. Like, you, you have the character of Margaret Thatcher, you're going to cast an older white lady. Like, don't pretend. Like, oh no, every actor can do this. Like, we're being a little precious now, I think. Like, don't pretend like you were going to cast an older white lady as Margaret Thatcher. So, now that we know there's a bunch of amazing actresses who could play that character in Dallas Buyers Club, it should be one of those actresses. And right. that's it. Absolutely. Um, do you ever find that, because, you know, I don't I don't know if everyone can, I'm just going to say this, but you're a gay guy. I don't know if everyone can pick up on that. True. Yeah. <laughs> they, might, they, they might think the gym bar in Manhattan is where you go work out. <laughs> yeah, it's where you work out and then you crush a uh, Bruce. Right. Like if you're in Missouri listening in to this podcast, sets. you have no clue. You're like, oh, wow, the gym bar? Yeah, I've been there. Um, <laughs> I forgot what I was even going to say now. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, no, I, I got distracted. You said about... I'm a gay guy. Oh, yes, you're gay. <laughs> it's true. Yes, you're gay. Yep. You're Accurate. A, you're a homosexual, but you've also played straight characters. Um, when you get a call and they're like, hey, Michael, come in for this audition. It's for this character who's flamboyant or however it goes. Do you ever get like, oh, God, I don't want to I don't want to just play gay characters. Or are you like, no, I need to pay the rent. What do you want me to do? Um, the answer is I'm thrilled for literally every audition I get. However, I love 
when I'm being thought of for something that isn't just a gay guy. Mm. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, before, like, you know, I joined, like, the unions and, and all of that, um, I was doing, you know, non-union commercials for a long time coming up, and uh, I was cast as a dude bro in literally every single one. So actually getting cast as gay people is a newer thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it's only once, I mean, it's kind of, you know, 30 Rock was maybe the first gay character I ever got paid to play. Um, and, you know, basically everything I've done since, like on a big scale has been either gay or singing, which let's face it is also kind of gay. So <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, which is hilarious. Yeah. If I, if I play a straight character, that character sings and moves. So <laughs> it's, um, it's, these characters aren't exactly crushing pussy. So, um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> No, they're not like, like, yeah. Like if you're a straight, they're like, Hey Michael, you're going to be a straight guy. You're going to tap dance. Or you're going to sing this song. You're like, well, there goes the pussy tonight. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Um, but for a long time, it was just like backwards baseball cap wearing well-meaning idiot who, you know, sit on a barco lounger in his garage and mostly ignore his wife. And that's very fun to play too. Uh, because though it's not a part of my life, uh, it's certainly something I've observed enough in the world to have access to it. Um, yeah, and like every so often I get an audition for something like that, and it's an unbelievable thrill because I get to do something other than those pants are a myth for me, you know, <laughs> like some just like mincing like underwritten idiot well you're a character actor and you're so good at it like you are incredible all all, if ladies and gentlemen just go on youtube and type in michael hartney's acting actor real and fantastic like just your range your range i was on the sofa laughing and i was watching things over again just on your real yeah i i loved it um yeah, you're so fantastic that I actually have another clip for you. Oh, boy. And this is – so let me let me work up to this because, you know, I was watching The Politician season two. Oh. And, yeah, you know where this is coming, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and Ben Platt's on the screen and Judith Light, who I've loved Judith Light since I was like five and she was on One Life to Live. Okay, that is how far back – my love for her goes. So, and then of course there's Bette Midler and then I'm watching the show and then I see you. And then I like in a shock, I throw one of the cats across the room because I'm just like, ah, I'm like, Oh my God, that's Michael. And my husband's like, who? And I'm rewinding. I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Now I have to have him on the show. Yes. I know that was why I had, but, um, I want to play that. I'm like, oh my God, he's got to come on the show. So um, I'm just kidding. But um, I'm not really. So I want to play this clip for you. And it's from episode seven, season two, election day. And it's a scene with you and Ben Platt, Bette Midler and Judith Light. And then we'll talk about it. 
and wow. it's going to move the goalposts as far as what they're willing to spend on climate issues. So when I propose that we subsidize solar panels for all the downtown buildings, that $200 billion is going to make the $50 million that the paneling costs sound like a bargain. Maybe I won't get quite as chewed up as you think I will. Peyton, people are asking for you to do another song. Oh, my constituency demands action. Peyton, everyone wants you to do another song. Now, let me ask you, when you get the call, listen, you're basically the star of the politician. Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> go, stick, go stick one of your eggs up your hoo-ha because Michael Hartney has entered the room. <laughs> this is so funny because what you don't see, uh, because podcasts are not a visual medium, no. what you don't see is that my line is actually delivered with my back to the camera. And that the only glimpse of my face you get is like a half a second as I approach Ben Platt. Okay, that's so this not is important. Very though. fun and funny. <laughs> that is not the um, important this is thing. Hysterical. Is you are there, you're an actor, and you're in the room with these. I mean, fucking Bette Midler. How? Okay, so let's rewind. I have such a story about all of this. Yes, it's going to crack your face <laughs> because I have not talked about this in a public way. Holy shit. Am I getting a politician you're getting a scoop. scoop? You're getting such a scoop. Yes. Go ahead. I can't, so, I, I don't know if I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's crazy. So, uh, I got an audition for the politician and the character was this bar manager. I'm like, okay, fine. Well, I'm like, you know, again, it's like, Oh, you're a manager at a gay bar. Great. Okay. I'll take it. Whatever. Um, and, there are paragraphs, multiple paragraphs of dialogue. Because, and it's like me kissing Bette Midler's character. What? And talking. Yes. We're kissing. We're hugging. We're chit-chatting. We're, uh, we're having a little coffee clash. So I'm, you know, I'm excited to do this audition. I get to the office. A bunch of other gay guys. Again, I see someone on the sign-in sheet. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not kidding that. <laughs> that sounds like a running thing. Go in. Yeah, I go in. And you know, when something goes well, you can really tell. And I just knew that if I gave it 10% less than I bet everyone else is giving it, I think it'll like stand out as something interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh so I, you know, do everything with the casting director who seems Truly elated. <laughs> it seemed like, oh, I think I've been a breath of fresh air for her. Mm -hmm. um, and it went it went really well. Um, but again, like, who knows? I've thought lots of things have gone well and haven't gotten them. But I get a call from my manager, again, like a week later, and I get the part. I'm like, oh, this is fucking awesome. I can't believe I'm going to have to, like, be funny and jovial with Bette Midler all day long. This is going to be so fun. Uh, incredible. So my manager's like, you have to um, tell production where you are right now because they need to messenger you pages. They will not email them. The script is too top secret. Oh, wow. I'm like, uh, uh, okay. So I was the artistic director of the UCB Theater at the time. So the messenger came to the UCB Theater and gave me a like triple taped up manila envelope full of many pages. I was like, holy shit, is this even juicier than I thought it was? So I rip it open 
I get all these pages, I start rifling through them, and it occurs to me that my part is now one line. Oh, no. And that line is no longer to Ben Midler. It's to Ben Platt. I'm like, what is going on here? So, I may have signed an NDA and I'm not supposed to talk about this. Oh, well. So, <laughs> Listen, there's only like 100 people that are going to listen. So, I, um, you know, so, Joe, you're going to love that. I'm so it, excited. I'm on the edge of be, my seat. It's supposed to be Marie's Crisis, but we shot it at the boiler room that was re, it was dressed to look like a piano bar, Mm -hmm. which the boiler room is not. It's a dive bar in the East Village, (laughs) but it was dressed up to look like a piano bar. So, um, so the very first person I meet is your girl, Judith, who I am very pleased to report is so fucking nice. Oh, thank God. Oh, you know, I'm sweating here because I was like, if you were going to say she's like the biggest bitch on the planet, I was just going to pull the plug and end the podcast. So, no, she was so kind. She, it's just truly, you can tell just from just every syllable that comes out of her mouth that she loves actors. She loves acting. She loves the whole damn thing. And it's all just joy for her. And it was, she was, I mean, I, I don't have enough great things to say about her. So let me ask you, I'm going to interrupt a lot. I'm sorry, but did yeah. you, did, so do you meet her there on set or do you meet her before? I met her at her trailer. Okay. And we were both walked by PAs to the set. Together. Our trailers were lined up on like East uh, 3rd Street. And then we were walked around the corner to uh, East 4th Street where the boiler room is. Okay. So, um, so I shot truly. I shot, I spent fourteen hours shooting that line, essentially, <laughs> which is insane. That's ridiculous. It was mostly a master class in watching Bette Midler and Judith act with each other because a lot of it was their was shooting their scene as Ben is uh, singing at the piano, right? And just watching them work was incredible. Um, but you know, it was a long day. I was like, I can't believe I have one line in this is taking so damn long and it's just because all of the camera setups like there's just so much coverage because there's also a musical number so there's just so many like swirling cameras and it's all very meticulous but um the last shot of the day i find out is also the last shot of the politician season two okay so it's the last day of shooting for the whole crew, the whole cast. And so the minute we're done, it's like a huge celebration. And everyone who has worked on the season kind of files into the bar. It's like the party's about to start. Oh, okay. So, so Ben takes the microphone and like, you know, thanks everyone for a great season. It's super gracious and nice. And then he passes the mic to Beth, who goes, um, this has been wonderful. Again, just, just just thanking everybody. And she says, um, now I know we were supposed to do a duet um, today because that's what my whole character in the initial audition was doing was setting up a duet between Ben Platt and Ben Midler. Okay. 
and then that isn't what happens, I my character summons Ben to go back and sing another song by himself. So she is now giving me the reason why oh. my character was cut, basically. And she's like, yeah, um, I know we were supposed to do a duet, but they wouldn't pay up. So, <laughs> At least she's honest. So it all came down to they wouldn't offer enough money to sing with Ben Platt, which is hysterical to me. But then she said, are you ready for this show? Listen, she this, said, is a, this is an exclusive. Are you kidding me? I might be able to quit my unemployment after this. <laughs> she said, I won't. I'm not singing on The Politician. But I am going to sing for you right now. Oh, Hit God. it. And Ben Platt starts playing piano. And Bette Midler sings The Rose. Oh, God. For 40 you, of us. Are you fucking kidding me? A little Bette Midler concert at the Boiler Goddamn Room in the East Village. And I'm five feet from her. I bet, you're think- I bet you're thinking, I'm glad I've been here for 14 hours for one line. I mean, I kind of wasn't pleased with it. It was fine. It was yeah. very, I mean, I, it was truly. Oh, and uh, uh, not only his part in the final product is cut, but um, David Cornsweet, who you would know as also the lead in Hollywood, uh, was also in that. Oh, the one who dies in the first season. Yeah. He's beautiful, so it's by the just, way. It's literally, yeah. I mean, apparently, there's rumors that he's being groomed as the next Superman. You know what? I almost finished your sentence and said Superman because he looks like a Superman. Yeah. Let me tell you something. This man came down to Earth, probably came out of his mom, and he was fine as hell. <laughs> I, yeah. I, when I first saw him in the first season of The Politician, I was like, first of all, and I saw it in New York. I was in New York in October for the Rainbow Book Fair, which is the LGBTQ book event, book fair that's in New York oh, City. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I was there and I was selling books. I did a reading and then I went back to my friend's house and he's like, have you watched The Politician? I'm like, no. He's like, let's watch, just watch the first episode. You're going to be hooked. And I was like, all right. And then, of course, I was hooked. And um, But yeah, that man is fine. But go ahead. I just had to say that. Yeah, he's tall. God, he's <sighs> very tall. You're making me stick um, to my seat. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> um, so yeah, to, to, for it, to be in a room where the only actors cast are Bette Midler, Judith Light, Ben Platt, David Cornflett, and little old me uh, was really was really crazy. And then to at the end to get a little private concert from Bette Midler and get the uh, reason that my <laughs> that my part right. was cut down so much, I was like, they don't they didn't like me enough to. They were like, oh, but he can't have all these lines. You know, I was very self conscious about why the part was was reduced and right. it truly is just came down to money is that common because like i i i'm i'm a lay person i don't understand all the ins and outs of contracts and actors and stuff like that but i guess when you're an actor and a singer they have to pay you for both is that how it works um interestingly enough seemingly yes and i am also not well versed in um all of the specialties in SAG contracts. Oh. 
But I do know that when, so I wrote on a TV show called Throwing Shade. Um, and I was occasionally cast in the sketches that they did on Throwing Shade. Um, and normally it was truly a pittance. Like it was not very much money to appear on camera um, on that show. But there was one episode where I was hired to Vogue on the show. <laughs> okay. So it was me and truly like two members of the House of Extravaganza. I mean, it was like, it was insane, good Vogue dancers and me. Okay. Um, but I held my own, bitch. I held my own. <laughs> but that check was like three times higher because I had a dance specialty in it. Oh, I see. So when you're yeah. some, when you're like Bette Midler, you're fucking Bette Midler. I mean, plus you know, my Bette mind Midler, is still so, boggled. Yeah, she's not making she's not making SAG minimums. I'll tell you that too. <laughs> so she is, you know, every once you're at that level, you're negotiating kind of everything you do. Okay, and I think she wanted like a pretty significant bump for her pretty significant talent at singing. Um, and they didn't do it. But what's fascinating is she did not get, they wouldn't pay her. So she didn't do it. But then when the show was over and she sang, she sang. And it, here's the thing. That's so everyone, everyone, but me filmed it. Uh... Everyone is, Crying, filming it on their phone, but that's obviously much different than it existing <laughs> on a TV show on Netflix in perpetuity. Sure, right. Because when you do so, Netflix, isn't it true when you do Netflix compared to like other TV shows that run on like um, network television, you just get paid one lump sum and that's pretty much it? Is that correct? Um, I don't know you definitely get residual oh you do so like okay. i've been on a yeah i've been on a few netflix shows at this point and definitely yeah i just i just got an 80 dollar check for doing a kid's sketch show in 2017 or i guess it came out in 2018 80 bucks uh, but yeah damn. 80 bucks and that's not the first check <laughs> that's not the first but, check sir it's not the it's not my first day at the check rodeo <laughs> my residuals rodeo um um I still so yeah you do get but but I do think it's less lucrative than like traditional broadcast TV which is such a dying I mean that's dying broadcast is dying mm. well now nobody depressed. makes money like that anymore no yeah well. No, I think, it's you like know, I think streaming shows are better though. Yeah. Well, I love to, I love to sit down and, and spend an entire day watching a TV show. Cause one of the worst things I hate, <laughs> I can't stand when I'm watching a show and I'm like, Oh, I got to wait another week. I could die. I could literally never know how this show ends. And that bothers me a little bit. So this is your golden age. Yes. The age of binge watching is like tailor made for you. Absolutely, I thought you. Could, all I heard was old, and I almost hung up. But um, and then, <laughs> I, then I figured out what you were saying. Um, yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I hate. I used to hate. I was a big fan of the TV show Once Upon a Time on ABC, and um, okay, I would. Um, 
it would come on every Sunday. And by Saturday, I was like climbing the walls and my husband would be like, it's a TV show. But I was the same way for Lost also, so I get a little crazy. Sure. So, but yeah, I love the binge because I don't watch a lot of TV. I read a lot. But when I'm into a show, I want to sit down A to Z, watch the entire thing, move on with my life. Yeah. I like, I like both. I like, I think both have their, their qualities. Now you mentioned a few moments ago, and I have it written down here that you were a staff writer on the TV land show, throwing shade. Uh, yeah, I you, sure was. You know, staff writing on a TV show is my, is, is probably my dream. So thanks. Really? For, yeah. Oh my, are you kidding me? My dream in life is to write comedy on a TV show. Like, I, that's it. Awesome. So you're basically living my life. Congratulations. <laughs> you're, you're, Thank you. You're, you're getting, you're getting, I can't even say it. You're getting concerts from Bette Midler and you're writing on TV shows. And I'm basically sitting in Denver sweating in my office right now. So <laughs> congratulations. But, oh, but it's such a nice dry air. <laughs> yeah. That's what they say right now. It's like, I think it's like 97 degrees and the rabbits are melting. So I'm not even Ooh. looking, I'm not even looking outside right now, but where is your, if you could only do one thing, like what is, is acting or writing, which one are you, do you lean towards more? <sighs> um, the perfect world is getting to perform what I write. Um, but I would have to say I am probably ultimately a performer first. Really? Oh, I'm shocked by that. Okay. No, that's good. You threw me off a little bit, but I like it. No, it was like hard. It's hard to decide, but like, I, yeah, I love, um, I love performing and it's like gun to my head. I could only do one. I would act. Mm. But, uh, but you just said, and this makes so much sense to me because you do sketch comedy is I bet you it's so thrilling when you actually write a character or you write a script or whatnot, and then you get to perform it. That must be like all you just two worlds colliding and making just the best possible outcome. It's the best. And I think that's why I love sketch comedy so much is that it feels like such a it feels like such a writer actor's playground it's like the perfect sandbox for someone who loves both writing and performing to play in mm-hmm. um, because you can give yourself so much to do in such a compressed amount of time um, and I yeah I love that like it is truly a thrill to hear <laughs> uh, wow you have all of your characters are so different from each other. That is like the ultimate compliment. Oh my God. I gave that to you today. You did. See, I'm a good host. It made my day, Joe. (laughs) Really? And I said that way back. Yeah. That's really good. You haven't hung up. So that's really, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed (laughs) that we can get to the end before you're like, this dude's fucking crazy. I'm out. Um, I mean, we'll see. (laughs) I mean, we're not done yet. What? (laughs) You've... (laughs) You're so much fun. I can't believe you dropped you the politician scoop on this podcast. Yeah, Aww. that's the scoop. That, that's a good scoop. What? There's more scoop. There's more scoop for off 
for off air, but oh, I can't I can't spill okay. it all. Well, I, you know what? I'm very pleased with the scoop that you gave me because I mean, you could have told me, yeah, we had to hold on because Bet was taking a shit, and I would have been excited. <laughs> so I mean, that's all you. I, I would you would have said that. I would have been like, check, please. I'm done. Um, <laughs> Oh my god! I'm making you laugh. That's not a fake laugh, yeah. is it? Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm bad at fake laughing. So let me ask you: you you've been based in New York. What? Ha- why stay in New York and not go to LA? Uh, great question. I have been to LA a bit. Um, so I spent seven months in LA, um, working on the. I was <laughs> I was in the CBS Diversity Showcase which is like a sketch comedy showcase um, ostensibly for CBS and the greater uh, entertainment industry to discover diverse talent. Um, So I did that and I kind of stuck around for pilot season and a little bit beyond that. That's where I booked the Christopher Maloney movie that I was in. What movie was Uh, that? I I, I couldn't figure out what it was. It's called Small Time. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a good little. It's a it's a good little indie movie. Um, it's um, Christopher Maloney, Bridget Moynihan, Dean Norris is in it. Who you would know as uh, Hank on Breaking Bad. Mm, okay. Um, and yeah, it's a good little flick. And it was really thrilling to to get to play around with. Uh, some of those guys. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was uh, fun to play around with Chris Maloney. I was going to pause. The I mean, call. I was going to pause the call so we could finish that up and then wrap back up. But go ahead. Well, let me tell you this. Oh, okay. Uh, in between takes, Chris Maloney uh, passes me to uh, go to the bathroom. Probably not to take a shit. He's no Bat Midler, uh, obviously. Um, probably just to pee. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he walked past me. He walks past me, and as he passes me, he slaps me very hard on my flank, on my side. He goes, you're funny. Oh, my God, Joe. I almost passed the wardrobe for new ass pants. Mine are so good now. I mean, truly, like, duh, wrench. It was crazy. He smacked you on your side and said, you're funny? And he said, you're funny. And then in the director's commentary, it's him and the director, uh, Joel Cernow. And during my scene, they say nice things about me. Uh, They thought of me later. Isn't that nice? I wouldn't mind Christopher Maloney thinking of me anytime, but that's amazing. Any old damn time. Yeah, that's incredible. Like, are these things that keep you in the industry? Like these positive um, feedbacks and like just like, cause you know, sometimes I'm sure there's been points in your life where you're like, I don't know if I want to continue doing this. I'm maybe I'll go to Starbucks. I hear they put you through college, <laughs> <laughs> but you keep, they have a very, they have very competitive. Balance. And I think you get a free um, latte every day or something. I, I mean, I'll take it honestly. Um, I am sufficiently delusional. To the point where I've never strongly considered giving up on this, mm-hmm. even though a normal human being would have given up long ago. Mm-hmm. But it is nice to feel in those moments where, like, you hear Chris Maloney and 
Joel Sternow say nice things about you on the director's commentary for a small time, you realize like, oh, it's not just in my head. Like, I am supposed to be doing this. I'm not delusional. I am good at this. Yeah, it feels good. It feels it feels really validating. Um so yeah, to just answer your question more about LA, like I I spent some time up there certainly throwing shade uh when I got hired. For that, that's why I left School of Rock. Um I spent four and a half months out in LA writing for throwing shade and truly would return to LA at any time, at any point for any job ever. Mm. Um, okay. but I, um, you know, I live in New York and New York's my home and, um, you know, the, the, the theater that I came up through the UCB, uh, up until the pandemic hit, uh, existed and was a huge part of um, why I stuck around because that's where my people were. That's where my community was. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that, well, that makes I'm, sense. I'm certainly ready to pack a duffel at any time and go to LA for a job, but I'm not as keen on making that my uh, forever home. God, I hate LA. I hate it so much. I don't even hide that I hate it. I say it as many times as possible. (laughs) I really like it when I have stuff to do. And when I don't have stuff to do and I'm in L.A., it is one of the most depressing places I've ever been. Yeah, I am. Oh, my God. It's just exhausting because I used to do a podcast um, with a friend down there and I would fly from San when I lived in San Francisco, I'd fly into Burbank and then we'd bust out a few episodes and we wrote a TV show together, lots of stuff. But I would go down there cool. and I would do all this stuff. And the entire time I was there, I was such a bitch about it. <laughs> I was like, God, I hate everyone here. It's disgusting. It's terrible. And I think it's because of that Hollywood mentality. Um, and, and let me know if you've ever ha- intera- ha- ever dealt with things like this. A friend of mine, she's an actor, and she just got a new agent and a new manager. And the first thing they said was, and she's not, she's very thin. She's perfect. I will say she's got the perfect normal human being body. And they were like, you should, you need to lose 10 pounds. And that enrages me. This is why I could never, it enrages me. And I'm like, you're perfect. She's like, well, I got to lose 10 pounds. I'm like, do you think that, or are you just letting them put that in your brain? Have you ever had to deal with those things being a guy? I have not. So I, you know, I'm pretty, (laughs) certainly quarantined as hell, but I'm a pretty big guy. And um, I think that's my type. And so um, that's never been a thing that's been brought up with me. Uh, and I think it's because, you know, like I, I can pre- I can vary pretty wildly uh, weight-wise within a certain window, but the whole window is still the type that I am. So I, I don't think... You know, I think if there was a point where I uh, got smaller than the window of my type or bigger than the window of my type, maybe my manager would be like, hey, Mike, what's, uh, what's going on here? Oh, I see what um, you're saying. Okay. But because, um, 
you know, I, I do think it's obviously much, much, much easier for men uh, in the industry. But I will say, like, there's a weird space between Hollywood leading man ripped and, like, charactery uh, soft, <laughs> I guess you'd say. <laughs> I don't know if I'm soft. I just mean like a huskier husky. Person. Yeah, I'm husky. There's nothing wrong but with there's, that. But there's a there's a space between those two things that's very hard for if, if you're neither thing. It's it's hard for certain men in Hollywood. Oh, I see. So if you're not skinny, skinny or husky, it's hard for them to place you, and that's really what they're doing. Right? Because it's like, you oh, you're not ripped enough to be a leading man. Right. But you're also not like charactery looking enough to play like the dopey best friend. You're the kind of nether space that we don't have much use for because if we want one thing, we're going to cast someone rip. And if we want something else, we'll cast this like big guy who wears plaid and has a beard. That, that you know, yeah, that makes sense. So don't lose any weight. Well, maybe just lose the COVID-19 weight. Cause I no, I need to, I definitely need to. <laughs> but <so> awesome. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, I mean the things, the things that people say about women, just in the world, is disgusting. But certainly in showbiz, is a fucking disgrace. And hopefully those things are changing, but they can't change fast enough for me. That's for sure. No, I was um so. Long story short, um, a friend of mine, we used to host a podcast called Confessions on the Fly with LJ and Flight Attendant Joe, and then we wrote an eight-episode TV show for like Netflix, Hulu, and it's called Now Boarding, and it's a flight attendant comedy. And it's about two best cool. friends, one's gay, one's straight. It was pretty decent. But I remember we, were, we had found a producer to film like a little short six-minute pilot. So we were looking for directors, and... I went down to LA and I'm already hating everything about it. And um, uh-huh. I'm like, can I do this from San Francisco? No, you need to come down. I'm like, all right. So I come, I go down there and we, we meet up with this possible director who basically cries through the entire interview because Hollywood has just beaten this person to a bloody pulp. Oh my God. And it was somebody that my friend knew. So it wasn't like, like a stranger where we would just have gotten up and said, check, please. You know, it turned into like this session where they were talking and I was just, I just sat there listening about how hard it is for women in Hollywood. And I was, I just stopped and said, why the fuck don't you guys move to like Kansas and have like a farm or something? Cause this just sounds, <laughs> this sounds heartbreaking. Like why would anybody want to do this? Like I love cats, but I don't have a thousand of them. <laughs> yeah and so yeah one will do oh my one, yeah well we have two but yeah one will do we're gonna talk sure. about we're gonna talk about a a cat that i'm obsessed with and you're friends with the cat's mom we're gonna talk about that in a second but i remember thinking <laughs> oh my i was sitting there and i was just like i i don't even know if i'd ever want to be a part of this of course when the phone rings and they're like hi we want to hire you as a staff writer i'm like i love hollywood are you kidding me but yeah, it's just it broke my heart, and I just I, I, you've got to be so strong and really have balls of steel to even be in this entertainment industry. So good, congratulations on that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it is 
it remains the most rewarding and least rewarding thing in my life. So it's like being a flight attendant. <laughs> I guess so. It's basically the same thing. You're you're verbally abused, but you love it. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's only as good as the the seat you're talking to at the time. Exactly, which is so weird because you're going to find out why that you just said then. That's weird. But I want to talk about your friend Julie Klausner. Julie. Okay. So a couple, I think it was like six months ago, she commented on your Instagram picture or something. And then I had explosive diarrhea because I panicked and freaked out because <laughs> I was, and I think I even said, I was like, oh my God, the universe is colliding and I can't handle this anymore. Um, <laughs> as much as I love her difficult, you know, she created difficult people. Everyone listening, you, you, if you have a brain, if you have Hulu, you know, difficult people, but I am obsessed. Okay. <laughs> I'm obsessed with her cat, Jimmy Jazz. Oh, yeah. And there's been times where I've sent her photos of my cat. <laughs> Remember when <laughs> I asked you, like, do you ever think celebrities are your friends? I don't think, I, I know Julie's not my friend, but I think her cat is. And you know what? That might be, that might be in fact true. <laughs> yeah, I know her cat would love me. I think she would love me too. But um, It I, works differently with cats of celebrities than celebrities. Really? Explain that to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I will I'm be just, her cat's I'm pen pal. Her cat's adorable. <laughs> but yeah, when I saw that you guys knew each other, I was just like, okay, see, this is why I couldn't even work first class as a flight attendant. Because I just freak out. I get so crazy starstruck so that was my call out to julie love you julie you and your cat need to be my new best friend and now we'll move on julie would love julie would love for you to be her flight attendant by the way that's the biggest insult i've ever heard how dare <laughs> you, you just mean? came on my show and said she couldn't be your friend but she would love for you to be her flight attendant i have to get on you were now. talking about it being in first class i'm sorry i <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would be her. Well, no, but she would hate me because I would be like, hi, um, do you need to hire a writer? And then she'd be like, um, this flight attendant's harassing me. And it would go bad. Uh, yeah, it would, if that, it would if go you bad. led with that, yeah, that would go for it. It would go no, bad. No, you're right. No, I wouldn't lead with that. I would just be like, Michael Hartney's our friend, and this is how this works. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. So let me ask you one final question before we depart because I've taken up so much of your time and this has been so much fun, but you're on a flight from Los Angeles to Sydney, Australia. You are well, on a flight. You're sitting there. What famous person dead or alive would you want to sit next to for that entire flight? So you could talk to them. Holy shit. Um, and you can't say Jimmy jazz. Cause that's my pick. I think I think Jim Henson. Oh wow! I did not see that coming. Tell, can you tell me why? Yeah, I just think he's one of those like you know like people come around who are true juggernauts in not only their field but in many fields, and to me, Jim Henson was so talented at like big picture things like building this incredible empire but he also was permit like he's a, such a gifted performer 
um, you know, I think of like Sesame Street and The Muppet Show as some of the greatest sketch shows that have ever been on TV. Uh, and I don't think they're given their due in that way. Um, but he was so, he was so multi-talented. Like he's the true multi-hyphenist. Cause there are other like giants in their field. Like Walt Disney obviously is like such a, such a like monolithic character, but I don't think like he, he wasn't as like in the shit as Jim Henson always was. Mm-hmm. Um, or like Lauren Michaels, who's like put together this fully a comedy empire, but he's not like on the front lines the way Jim Henson was truly until the day he died. And, um, you know, that font of creativity is very inspiring to me. And, uh, there'd be just so much to talk about. So if I'm going to be on a plane, I want somebody with a real breadth of experience. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm very happy with my answer. That was a great answer. I didn't even think that was coming. <laughs> I, I, I I thought you were gonna say me, but hey, Jim Henson, that works too. That works too. Michael, you are, are you are incredible, and I think you're so funny. Christopher Maloney was absolutely right. <laughs> no. Please let everyone smack me on my flank anytime. Yeah, I'll smack you on the other flank. Um, <laughs> please let everyone know where they can find you, how they can watch your incredibly funny videos, how they can follow you on social media. This is where this is where you get to hoe yourself out to all the listeners. Hell yeah! Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at Michael Hartney. Then very innovatively, you can follow me on Instagram at Hartney Michael. Because I like keeping bitches on their toes. Um, then every Wednesday uh, at 8 p.m., I stream. Um, Characters Welcome has a weekly streaming show. Um, so you can watch that on Facebook.com slash Just for Laughs. Or you can watch it at YouTube.com slash Characters Welcome. Either way, you should subscribe on YouTube to Characters Welcome. We have over 800 uh, character videos to watch. Wow. That's incredible. Um, truly some of the most talented performers in New York City. That's awesome. And I'm going to have all of that listed in the description of the episode. So people just have to click on it and they will be directed directly to directed directly to your page and they will have hours Woo! and hours of laughing. Amazing. I'm loving it. Michael, thank you so much. You have made my day. Likewise, Joe, thank you so much for having me uh, and for the steady stream of effusive praise. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also, check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.